Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. Um, if you're new to our community, we've been sitting in a text Uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. We've entitled this series of conversations that's been going on many months, The Upside Down Kingdom. Last week, uh, Kevin did a just wonderful, wonderful job of conveying the heart of the Father through the Lord's Prayer, and what prayer is kind of the simplest and the most complex thing. Both are true at the same time. Uh, and, and one of the things we invited our community to do was just to write down where it is they see God working and God's goodness. And my goodness, um, it was super um, uh, amazing to read all of that this week and to pray over all of that this week. We're going to join Jesus in kind of um, in continuing his critique of the religiousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And so we're gonna be in Matthew chapter six. But before we get there, I wanna remind you of three verses that Jesus, remember Jesus is leveling a critique against the righteousness of certain scribes and Pharisees by commenting on the fact that very often their, their performance of righteousness is done to impress others. And Jesus says this thing three times. Sarah, if you'd go ahead and put up Um, He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have what? No reward from your Father in heaven. Next. And then he repeats it. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will what? Next. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will? Right. And then one more. And your father who sees what is done in secret will? Yes. So it's not shocking after three times of talking about the rewards of the father for righteous acts done in secret, he then gets into chapter 6, verse 24. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin, man, great word, and vermin destroy. If you don't know what vermin are, vermin or rodents. You're welcome. (laughs) Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasure where? Now why, why does he make this reference? Because the Father in heaven will see and reward you. Three times he says this. Around fasting, around prayer, and around almsgiving, giving to the poor. He says, don't do it to be noticed. Instead, do it in secret. Your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he's summarizing this whole approach. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth that can be corrupted and will disappear. But instead, accumulate treasure in the heavens. What are treasure, what's treasure in the heavens? Well, in context, it's when you give to the poor in secret, and it's when you pray in secret, and it's when you um, fast in secret that the Father sees you and will reward you. And so this, he's not talking about something new here. He's summarizing the thing that he's been saying three different times throughout the text, right? Live in such a way so as you value the things that God values, and do not value the things that God hates. 
So when we talk about treasures on earth or treasures in heaven, as Americans, we read this purely in capitalistic terms, right? So our visions of heaven include like mansions and, you know, streets of gold. That's a metaphor, by the way, not a little thing. Um, and so we very much read this in terms of our own personal status. And come on, guys, that is the last thing, the last thing the Bible has in view when it talks about treasurings in heaven or on earth. Remember, heaven isn't a place where we go when we die. Heaven is a realm where God has authority now. And the job of the church is to pray and act in such a way as the rule and reign of the heavens are brought to earth. So when we treasure the things of heaven, that means we're treasuring the things that God treasures. And when we treasure the things of earth, we're treasuring the things that fallen humanity treasures. Makes sense so far? So this isn't accumulating crowns or something. You know, so Mother Teresa's at the head of the line, you know, when they're dishing out mansions. I mean, that, what, what a corrupted image, right? It's all individualistic, and it's all about status. And you're like, good Lord, we're just so, our minds and imaginations are so corrupted around, right, American definitions of success. We even read heaven that way. So treasuring on earth and treasuring in heaven is something you do now. You either treasure the things of the heavens now or you treasure the things of the earth now. Makes sense. Sweet. Then he says this random thing about eyes. And you think, oh, he's talking about something else. This is just like this accumulation of like random sayings. Go ahead, Sarah, go to the eyes. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And all God's children said, yeah, okay, that totally makes sense. <laughs> no, what in the heck is he talking about? Well, we're talking about eyes, all right? Evidently, in ancient Jewish idiom, an evil eye, have you heard of an evil eye? An evil eye or an unhealthy eye is the eye that looks upon the world and sees scarcity, and sees competition. And so it becomes a stingy eye, it's an ungenerous eye, it's a greedy eye, it's a hoarding eye. It looks upon the world and sees that it needs to compete with other people for limited resources. A healthy eye is an eye that looks upon the world and sees abundance, and therefore is generous, and kind, and compassionate, and shares. So. He's talking about two types of treasuring, and then he's making the same point, now just talking about two kinds of eyes in a very Jewish way. Healthy eyes are eyes that look at the world and see generosity. Uh, unhealthy eyes are eyes that look at the world and see stinginess and, um, and hoarding because of the scarcity that they see. Make sense? Perfect. So we've got two treasurings, two eyes, and then we talk about two masters, no one can serve two masters. And the word serve is interesting. In other contexts, it's used to, as a word for worship. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Remember, hate and love are choice words, not feeling words. So you will either choose one master over the other, or you will choose the other master over the previous one. Notice, he says, you cannot serve both God and Oh, say it. Say it. Let's go. We're all capitalists at heart. And this verse, I mean, my goodness. So Jesus is saying the same thing three different ways. 
You either treasure the things of heaven or you treasure the things of the earth. You either have a healthy eye that looks upon the world and then acts generously or you have an unhealthy eye that looks upon the world and and hoards and clings. Or you have one master that is God or another master that is money. And it's interesting, in some of our older translations, they actually capitalize the word money because Jesus uses, instead of the Greek word for money, he uses uh, an Aramaic word for money called mammon. And mammon was a title given later to uh, a demon, the demon of mammon. I don't know if that's how Jesus was using it then, but the idea is Jesus understands money to be spiritual in nature, that it's not just neutral. So three different ways. You're treasuring this or this. You're looking at this or this and you are serving this or this. Not a lot of middle ground, would you agree? And, and this verse, you will not serve both God and money, that is, that is one verse that actually changed my life. I graduated from college and was an investment banker, wearing a suit every day, for God's sakes. And I was volunteering for this little bitty church uh, they had t- like 20 high school kids in their Sunday school. I got a promotion as an investment banker. I was, I was starting to make great money. Uh, I was uh, volunteering in this little bitty church, and they decided they wanted a youth pastor and offered me the job for $17,000 a year. Yes, back when seventeen grand meant something, man. <laughs> and I was offered a job that, at that same week, that same week, to work for a $26 billion bond trading firm for over 100K, back when 100K meant something. And so, I don't know how you all go about making decisions like that, but I was like, sweet, I'm gonna get a Jeep, um, and I'm gonna buy a boat, and it's gonna be awesome as a single dude making that kind of money. And so, I, I had to let them know on a Monday, a Sunday night about midnight, I was listening to Pearl Jam, and, and praying, which I kid you not. And I had, I don't know if you've ever had this, I had one of those moments that it wasn't just some audible sort of thing, but it was like a kind of a lightning bolt to the heart where this passage, and I wasn't a huge Bible reader, this passage sort of popped into my head. And, and there was this physical reaction I had to just that word, you cannot serve both God and money. And I think there are all sorts of people who are able to to handle wealth and do it great. Um, I don't know that I would have been one of them. Although by global standards, I am in the top 2% of wealth in the world. Um, But it was interesting, that, that verse, instead of being horribly convicting, was a verse that totally set me free to pursue a path that led here, for better or worse, in your eyes. Um, So whenever I come to this text, I don't see condemnation, I see invitation. Because all of us know that we have mystical bonds with our stuff. We just do. Stuff isn't neutral. And Jesus gives us a spiritual character. We are people who love to divide the world into spiritual and unspiritual, religious, secular. The Bible does none of that. Everything's spiritual, and if you, as a believer in Jesus, have the Spirit of God in you, everything is sacred. Everything. Your play, your dating, your homework, your dating, all of it. Your engagement. 
I mean, I'm just saying, you don't have to wait. We can go right now. I am licensed. So what? Send it back. Why spend so much money? I'm just, I'm totally teasing. I'm totally teasing. It's your day. Do whatever you want. Anyway, all that is to say, what Jesus does in this text that's kind of surprising is he names a rival for our affection. And, 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 and agreed, all the disclaimers apply. Anytime the church talks about money, I mean, let's be honest. Let's all roll our eyes together. Here we go. Here we go. Yes, why I should give to the church. Get, and the talk is given by the guy who gets paid by the fact that you give to the church. So that's always great. And the church, when you agree, has done a great job being totally full of integrity when it comes to people's money, right? I mean, this is a mess. And yet... You just can't get around the teaching of Jesus. You cannot take Jesus seriously and not talk about this. He has this in view so often throughout his teaching. So it's not shocking when he talks about almsgiving and prayer and fasting and doing it in secret and the Father rewards us to then say, in fact, not just those three practices, but make it your general approach to life to treasure the things of the heavens. What are the things of the heavens that God treasures? Well, it's the Sermon on the Mount. That's what he treasures, right? The poor, the poor in spirit, um, the, the merciful, the the those who mourn, those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, right? That's the value system of the kingdom. That's the value system, of course, that we're invited into. The problem is God knows our hearts and knows that we always try to work the both end. And that's why Jesus, I think, is so clear on this or this, this or this, this or this. I know, I agreed, no one likes talking about this, but in Luke, Jesus says something very similar, and I want to spend some time, because this is the summary of the three statements he just made in Matthew, but notice this. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Now, how many of you have clothes on right now? Yeah, thankfully. Some of you in particular. In the same way, those who do not give everything. So are we hypocrites by owning clothes? How many of you own a car? Thank you for the three of you participating in this. None of the, no, huh? Yeah, exactly. I don't know how everyone else got here. I think they biked in electric bicycles, you know, recycling along the way or something. Um, right, so, so, so what we often do with a teaching like this is like, oh, Jesus, you're just speaking hyperbolically. Come on, we all know that we can have stuff, right? Because, I mean, D- Jesus was supported by wealthy women um, who funded his ministry. They had stuff, and Jesus stayed in houses of people who had stuff, and Joseph of Arimathea had a tomb where Jesus rested for three days, right? I mean, people have stuff. So I want to spend a little time talking about what Jesus is getting at, because believe it or not, in English, this is incredibly important, but in in Greek, which, you know, joy, um, there's a really profound thing Jesus is showing us about the kind of mystical connections we have with our stuff. So five minutes, painful Greek background. I'm relying on the work of a guy named Greg Boyd, who is a pastor in Minnesota, um, who did great work on this, and so this is not nothing is ever original with me, but just so you know. All right, so let's, let's pick apart that Luke verse. Those of you who do not give up, and the word give up is 
uh, apotasso, everything you have, that everything you have, the have word there is a combination of two words, pas and hiparko, and then cannot be uh, is that OU prefix of negation plus dunamai, which means power, you cannot be my disciples. Now, let's go through very slowly each of those words because it, this actually shows something I think that's really, really powerful. Next slide. Give up is the word uh, apatasso, as we saw, and it just means to bid farewell, send away, surrender, or renounce. So it's not only something that is like a physical giving away, but it's also an attitude of renouncing towards something. All right, this becomes really, really important in a second. Next. Everything you have, the, the word have or own is that word pas, uh, which is all, and hiparko, which is possess or own. Now, hiparko, look at me. Look at me. So, so own is two words, Hipparco is two words, and this is where it gets super interesting. Hipparco comes from two words, hypo, which means under, and arco, which means to begin. Now, look at me. You're like, this makes no sense. Exactly. That's why I'm here, and, I, you, know, and you give to the church. For this. <laughs> for this. I don't know. I'm so sorry. Um, no, 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 Sarah, back, Sarah, back. All right, now, let's look at this hypo arco, under to begin. So here's the image, all right? What does it mean to own something? Okay, the word own is two words that mean under and to begin. What it's saying is to own something means you come under something in order to begin something new. Okay, you come under and support something in order to create something new. Now, you're like, I have no idea what this means. Correct. Consider jeans. Okay? Let's consider shopping. I'm not a big shopper, and I certainly don't buy jeans, but here I've heard rumors about how one goes shopping for clothes. All right? You enter into a store, and upon the store are just jeans. Correct? All shapes and sizes, and they're just jeans. There's tons of them. They're just jeans. You ruffle through them, and you find a pair that you like and that fits, and then you take them to a cash register, and you pay for them, and they give you a receipt, and what has happened? What has happened when you walk out of the store? Whose jeans are these? Mine. Now, when, when Jesus talks about coming under something to begin something new, what he's describing is the reality that when I buy something, I'm not creating something new. What's new is the relationship between me and the thing that I bought. Namely, that I now possess it and it is mine. Do you see that? No, really, do you see this? So you, you see a house, it's just a house, lots of houses. But then you go in, do the loan, pay the thing, and now the house has become yours. What's, what's come into existence in that moment? Is it the house that's come into existence? No. Is it you that's come into existence? No. What's come into existence? It's mine. It belongs to me. Ooh. Now, let's call it mining. The, the process of making something mine. All right? 
That's what, when it says own, that's the image Jesus is giving. You come under something and support it in order to make it and confer an identity upon it as yours. All right, are you with me? Man, I really need, I really need some love. I really need some love. This is kind of the whole sermon rests on the jeans example. Okay? So, is Jesus condemning jeans? Is Jesus condemning me wearing jeans? Yes, but in another place. No, he's not condemning me wearing jeans. What's he condemning? What's he calling into question? The energy expended in mining things. Oh, this becomes so important. And then he says, Sarah, punch it. (laughs) Then he introduces the word cannot. Now, you and I read the word cannot as a rule. Like, you're not allowed to. Jesus here is describing a reality. Because he uses the word cannot, which is the prefix of not, uh, combined with the Greek word for power or ability or strength. And so here's what he's saying. Next slide, Sarah. Unless you renounce your ongoing claim to owning things or mining things, you will lack the power to be my disciple. Does that make sense? Okay, you guys are dazzled, bored, or befuddled, and I have no idea which it is. Any questions on this? Let's stop. Let's just start right there. Anything? Any questions on this? Yes. That's part of it. The, 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 I, the, the verb, he uses the present active participle, which means when you own something, my, my owning of it isn't just a one-time thing, but I'm living in a continual relationship to this thing thinking it's mine. So, so it's not just I purchase it and it's mine. It has an ongoing mining that's happening, and that that actually sucks spiritual power out of disciples of Jesus. That's the picture. Like, um, dumb example coming. I used to drive a 2000 Suburban. Okay, I mean, this was 18 feet long. It had a VCR. It had a VCRs before Blu-ray, which is before digital. Um, it had a cassette deck, which was after 8-track, but before CDs, just to generationally place it. This thing was a land tank. It was large and white, like yours truly, and it just, it just fit together. Got 10 miles to the gallon going downhill. This sucker was incredible. I, I got into a minor accident that destroyed a, 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 just a thin, skimpy van, and it did nothing. It did nothing to the, I mean, this thing was just indestructible, and it was beautiful. Now, there were stains all over it that were not put there by me. I just inherited the stains. But did I care? Did I care at all about loaning this truck out? No. Did I care if it got in an accident? No. Did I care if my kids were eating in the back seat and spilled stuff everywhere? No. Not even remotely. There was nothing you could do to it that hadn't already been done to it, and I loved this thing. But then, I made a mistake. I miscalculated. I went out and sold the beauty, and I bought a new Ford F-150. I left a lot of cars, but I drove in one that was now what? Mine. Now, was I okay about it getting in an accident? No. Did I care about the kids eating in the backseat? Yes. 
was I now yelling at the kids for making messes in the truck that previously they were fine in making messes in? Yes. Did I now, was I now expending time, energy, I would park away from people? I did this whole way of life that was so different from the previous truck because this one, this one was nice and this one was new and this one was mine. That, can anyone relate to this? That's the spiritual power. All of a sudden, I, I'm mining my truck or my new house or new floors or whatever it is. And it's causing me stress and sucking life out of me. So what Jesus is saying is unless we are continually renouncing the process of mining, we will not have the power to be his disciple. All right, any other questions on this? Yes, ma'am. You do not have to word this correctly. Yeah. That's a great question. Yeah. No, that's such a great question. So, can you can you value something without mining it, particularly if it has some sort of spiritual significance? Are you thinking of things like nostalgia items, like my my grandparents? Yeah, I think that's a different thing. Yes, connected to a, per, a person that said, no, I, yeah, I, I think there's, I think there is um, great power in symbols and stories and things that are handed down from generation to generation. I think you see that all over the Bible. I think what we're talking about is the uniquely um, human idea of thinking that everything I have belongs to me. Because we all know people who have lots of things but don't act as if it belongs to them, Right? Those people have a freedom that a lot of us lack. So the issue isn't whether or not we have things. The issue is whether or not we're constantly defending them, protecting them, and mining them as if they belong to me as opposed to things that are on loan for me to enjoy and use for the kingdom. Does that make sense? Great, great question. Anything else on this? Yes, ma'am. Totally. Yeah. Oh, it totally does. So what's the difference between caring for something well and mining? And my friends, this is a fine line that runs through every human heart. Right? I've heard people say, listen, I'm getting this yacht because I'll use it for the kingdom. And I have no idea if that's actually true. Okay. I think we are to be good stewards of things, and so I get my car serviced, and I, yes, I don't let my kids drive it carelessly. To me, it's, it's a matter of um, if, I, if, the, if the way I'm possessing or something's possessing me causes me anger, anxiety, grief, it's, I'm willing to interrupt uh, relationships for the sake of it, that's when I begin to, to draw the line about what mining is. But we have to be so careful because we are just self-deceived people and we're all convinced we're not rich. And, um, you know, there are people who are living deep, deep poverty in America, but for the, the majority of us, 
We're in the wealthiest class of people in the history of the world. And we, the fact that we don't see that shows how demonic the whole system turns out to be, right? So, so yes, there's no law. This is not a legalistic thing. Jesus is just pointing out a reality. If you spend your life mining and fighting for the belonging of things, you lack the power to be his disciple. So disciples of Jesus are expected to instead hold all of this loosely as not belonging to me, right? We, and part of, part of holding it loosely is taking care of it, so it is of use, no question about that. But in another sense, we're just to be always on uh, the lookout for the spiritual nature of things, right? My, my, when, I'm in, when, I, when the airline loses my luggage, there's, it's not a neutral thing like, oh, I can buy other shirts. Like there's an anger, you know, that's attached to that. I just want to explore what that energy is. And I think Jesus uses this word to talk about how easy it is to have the life sucked out of us in a pursuit, an unfettered pursuit of just more stuff. Does that help? Maybe? Great question. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. Yes. That's genius. Yes. Oh, that's so great. That's so great. There's another stool <laughs> for you. Maybe we should switch. But yes, that's exactly right. So if you're house sitting, right, you're, you realize the house doesn't belong to you, and so you treat it differently then perhaps you would treat something that belonged to you. Yeah, I mean, it's the difference between when I'm a steward of something or when I think something belongs to me and I'm entitled to it. You bet. Great point. And I know this is tricky, and that's why we're just taking a few moments for questions. Elias. Yes. <laughs> yeah, the, how, how do you reconcile people who talk about stewardship, but they're always pursuing more things to steward? <laughs> so good. And Elias, whether you knew it or not, you drew, you drew me directly to the next point. Go ahead and put up some First Timothy. This is my answer to the posture we're to have towards the stuff. Command those who are rich in this present world. Now, guess who that includes? I think most of us, I think most of us. Now, again, the fact that we don't feel that way says something about the mammon worship in our culture. And, and, and we have deep, deep and true poverty here, so we're not minimizing that at all. But for, for most of us, we are rich in the present world. Not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Now, um, boy, <laughs> well, we'll get to that in a second. Which, the wealth is so uncertain, that's exactly the point Jesus makes. If you treasure things on earth, you will be full of anxiety. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our what? So was it wrong to, like, enjoy the stuff? Not according to this, but notice what he says. Command them to do good, to be rich in what? 
Now, the phrase good deeds here, it isn't just be nice or buy Starbucks for the person behind you, okay? That's great. Good deeds here is in reference to the poor. Be rich towards the poor. That's what he's saying. And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves, and here's that word again, as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Ah, I love that. So this is what this means for me. There are three postures. I don't know about you. This is how I work it out, all right? First posture is of humility. I renounce entitlement. I don't deserve. I don't deserve a thing, and I have to constantly hold that in front of myself. I don't deserve the next breath. I don't deserve the next heartbeat. I'm not entitled before God to anything. Everything is grace. That's where the whole thing starts. Everything is a gift everything. And it's so easy to say that. We have one day a year where we celebrate it and then go buy stuff later that evening. It's beautiful. But the idea that, that Christians see the world with healthy eyes as receivers of good gifts, not owners and not entitled to, that changes everything. So the first place, he says, is, is, is there's an attitude shift. The second thing for the Eries is that we have to practice generosity. We have to physically practice it, particularly with the things that we mine, right? Now for me, oh, I mine it. So I mine security. I wanna have healthy buffers in all my accounts to make sure if anything bad happens, we can handle it. So we practice, we have to practice giving. I, um, and this is a huge confession for me, but I, I mine time. Like, just don't waste my time. So I'm often not interruptible. I'm very focused. I get very protective of my time. Right? So this can go way beyond just stuff. Because with stuff, my wife and I, we've given away cars. We've given away minivans. We've given away computers. Like, we're, we're good with the stuff. We rent right now. We've moved a lot. So we're okay with stuff. But it's often what stuff does that we're infatuated with whether it's comforts or convenience or security. And that's the part that I mine. And so not only do we live, we try to live in a way where we're constantly grateful for, for gifts, but we, we wage war by just trying to be generous. And some of that is to church, some of that is to uh, ministries that um, are taking care of, of kids in other countries. Um, but I have to practice that. I just have to for my own freedom. It's not that God needs it. It's not that the church needs it. it I need it. And then the, then the third thing is um, my wife and I are just beginning to explore something called minimalism, which is where you give away all the excess stuff. You try to live on the fewest amount of possessions as possible. And, um, and the reason that you do that is so that you're not constantly chasing more things to be good stewards of. Now that's just us and we are far from perfect. Oh my goodness. But this is where it cashes out. Jesus is not saying wealth is wrong, right? The love of money he calls the root of all kinds of evil and sorrow. And we all know what that's like. We all are convinced if we just had 20 more thousand dollars, our lives would be better. We all, yes, it's just true. And then when we get that 20 grand a year from now, we'll believe another 20 will make, make it all better. And so there's just per, this perpetual 
endless cycle of all of our energy and mindset and stewarding, all of it's just geared towards the accumulation of things and the maintenance of things and the fixing of things. And Jesus says you run out of power. There's a, that's a spiritual thing that goes on and that you lack then the power to fully be my disciple. And so the answer for Jesus is not not owning things because if owning things were wrong, if you gave something to the poor, you would be causing them to sin. Correct? The issue is how we regard the things that are in our care, whether they're mine or not. So what, here's what I thought we'd do. And I know, I mean, this is such a thick topic. But I, I wanted us to write or to say together a prayer of renouncement. Now, I, I read this and was like, I don't know that I can pray this. But I think we're going to try. And it's okay if you're like, ooh, I, I want you to pay attention to which parts hurt. Because that will show you your treasuring. Make sense? So we're going to say these words together, and I want you just to pay attention to which parts like punch you. And you're like, oh. And that's obviously then where we begin to do spiritual practices. We invite people into community with us to work on this, and so on, and so on, and so on. All right, so... Why don't we stand together, brothers and sisters? Yes. All right, so I'm going to read the first slide, and then the second slide will be your response. Then I'll read a slide, then you read a slide, then I'll read a slide, then you read a slide, and it will be glorious. All right? How we doing? Okay. Heavenly Father, we set our hearts on our treasure in heaven, not on any treasure on earth. And we aspire to bring every aspect of our life under your loving reign. From the deceptive lure of mammon, that we may live in the freedom, joy, and peace of your kingdom. We thank you for every blessing that you give us to enjoy, and we seek your will about all that you would have us invest into the kingdom and share with others. All we have and ever shall have belongs to you. We, relinqu we relinquish ownership of our dwelling places. We relinquish ownership of our possessions, all our possessions. We relinquish ownership of all of our finances. We rel relinquish, I don't know why I can't say this word, ownership of all of our time, gulp. For all of our time belongs to you. We relinquish ownership of all our hopes and dreams. For all of our hopes and dreams belong to you. We relinquish ownership of all our talents and skills. For all our talents and skills belong to you. We relinquish ownership of our entire lives. For our entire lives belong to you. We love... It should be live there. Thanks, Mike. We live in the joy and freedom of knowing all good things are from you, God. All things exist for God, and all things belong to God. And in that freedom we enjoy, we will stand now and forever. Amen. And so we just want to take a moment to see where that hit. As always, Tim and the, and the crew are going to come up. The Lord's Supper is available for all of us. The gift that is freely given. If you want to take some time to journal about this, 
They have sheets of paper around the room um, where you can just write prayer requests or reflections that you'd like. But we're just going to open up this time for you. Go ahead and sit back down. And um, thank you, Robert. We're going to open up this time for you uh, to respond, to pray, to think. The goal of all of this, of course, is just to provoke conversation and the, and the recognition of how subtly all of this can be at work in our lives. And so... In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, mighty God, we pray that we would be a community uh, known for our generosity, that we would be a community who fundamentally orients itself around um, gratitude for the gifts that you give and the goodness that you display to us. Father, um, I just pray for myself as somebody who is living and breathing and swimming in a system that values wealth and accumulation. God, that you might continue to bring us to the place where we trust you and put our hope in you. That we're willing to divest, we're willing to hold loosely, we're willing to, um, to put resources into kingdom causes. God, we just pray that you would, um, you would work in us so we would be compelled not by guilt or fear or shame, but rather by freedom and joy. And so we pray for that spirit to kind of pervade this place. We pray it in the name of Jesus our Christ. Amen.